This is the Amblecote Christian Centre podcast. Welcome to the fourth and final teaching podcast in our whole church teaching series on how we change when change is hard. And today I'm going to be wrapping up the main content by focusing on the third key area of transformational change, which is about community, about letting others in. You'll have already picked up on the previous three podcasts the importance of other people in transformational change. Um, So we have touched on this already. But in this final podcast, we're just going to take a bit longer to think through the role that other people play in our journey of change. You may also find that some of what I have to say here overlaps with our vision update podcasts that Tim and I did, uh, particularly the one on community. The focus is different because in this podcast, I'm really narrowing in on the importance of community for transformational change, but doubtless you're going to hear some similar themes. You'll remember back in the first podcast of this um, whole church teaching, I described the change myth whereby we claim that only God can change our hearts and therefore we don't take responsibility for the change that's needed in our lives. Well, there's a similar myth that can operate when we think about other people, which is where we say to ourselves, why would I need other people? God is better. God is more loving. God knows me more completely. God is more powerful. Surely I just need to walk with God to change. I don't need to waste time getting other people involved. This is another myth that misunderstands both the role of others and also the love of God. So throughout this podcast, I'm going to repeatedly kind of come back to that perspective and hopefully help us to see why it's not in line with the truth. It can sound very pious, but actually most of the time, this is a defense that allows us to avoid real change and real challenge. Tragically, it also keeps us from experiencing real love. But I'm getting ahead of myself already. Let's start from the beginning. As in the previous two podcasts, I'll first talk about why this matters and then about how we may be able to do something about it. So in order to experience transformative change, we will need to explore our iceberg, we'll need to grow in the knowledge of our real selves and face the truth. We'll also need to develop rhythms, habits and patterns in our life that shape our hearts so that our desires are not in conflict but are united towards the change that we need. Added to this, if we want to experience transformational change or transformative change, we will need other people. We will need to let them in we will need community. Why then is this the case? Why is this the case? Well, real community provides much of what we need to change. We've already covered some of this in the previous podcast, but to repeat again, we may need other people to help us understand our own iceberg. Those who can walk deeply with us as we explore the inner journey. We also talked about how other people are a key part of the way we can grow in awareness of ourselves, their feedback, their perspectives, the way they provoke and irritate us, all of this and more. Community can be one of the most powerful means by which we grow in understanding who we are. Of course, not every community does this. Unhealthy communities can actually allow us to continue to live out our false selves and hide from who we really are. 
say a couple of times in this podcast, I'll probably distinguish between a healthy community and an unhealthy community and try and kind of paint a picture of what a healthy one looks like. As well as giving us knowledge though, other people also allow us to develop the habits and practices and rhythms that we cannot do without them. For example, one of the most irrelevant commands in the Bible to most of us is found in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9, which says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. For most of us, this is totally irrelevant because we only ever have people over who we like at a time that suits us when it's practically convenient. So there's absolutely nothing to grumble about. However, if we want to change to be more hospitable and to be less of a grumbler, then we will need a community where we don't enjoy every minute um, of our time with everybody in it and where things are not always done only at our convenience. Then this command becomes relevant and we can begin to grow in practicing a new behavior. But this is just one example. Even the great commands to love, to forgive, cannot be done if there's no one to love and never any hurt to forgive. In fact, almost all the commands of God are only relevant on the assumption that our lives are lived in close proximity with others. The importance of forgiveness, reconciliation, interdependence, honouring one another, caring for the weak and all of the rest only really makes sense in community. It's not just about giving us the chance to live in certain ways though. We also have to let other people in because in truth, the friendship, the love, the encouragement and the accountability of others is absolutely necessary for our growth. And here's where I want to talk a bit more about the love of God and the love of people. We need both. We need the love of God because only God's love is perfect love. All the other love we receive in life will be partial, broken, conditional to some degree, unreliable to some degree. But God offers perfect love that can be fully trusted and fully surrendered to. For all of us, the centre, the very core of spiritual growth, healing and transformation is coming to rest in the love of God, knowing it personally as the true reality in our lives. One of the authors on the recommended reading, David Benner, describes how many Christians have the opinion that God loves them, but they don't know it. What he means is that they know God loves them as a propositional truth, but they don't know it as an experience. And for all of us, part of our journey is coming to know God's true love for us, both in proposition and in experience. However, this does not mean that we don't need the love of other human beings. Quite the opposite. In fact, I would suggest that most of the love of God that we receive is mediated to us through other people. Think about our wounds and the bits of us that are broken. Most of that damage involved the actions of other people. Is it any surprise therefore that God most often uses the love of other people in our healing? In some ways this is psychologically necessary. For each of us, what we even understand by the word love 
will be shaped by our past and especially by our parents. For those of us who have had generally healthy, emotionally warm, good enough love from our parents, we know what love is, roughly speaking. In order to know what it would mean for God to love us, we, we know what, what, what it would be for God to love us because we know that our parents loved us. But take the person whose father sexually abused them whilst telling them that he loved them. Or the person whose mother dished out a lot of humiliating physical punishment in the name of love. When they imagine being loved by God, they may be totally confused as to what that really means and whether they really want it. You see, when our image of love is broken, we often need a restored image of love to be mediated by God to us through others, which allows us to consider opening ourselves up to the love of God directly. I see this repeatedly in my pastoral work. We need good enough love from other people and we need perfect love from God. Both loves ultimately come from God, but one is mediated and one is direct, and we need both. There are many complexities here. You know, some people go through life expecting perfect love from others and get repeatedly disappointed that, to their minds, no one really loves me, when in fact they place unrealistic expectations on other people. For others, though, other people have such low expectations of the love of others that they never take the leap into real friendship and real community because they think that a minimal level of care is all they're likely to get. This podcast is not the place to kind of tease out and explore all these complexities. But I hope that the main point I'm trying to make is clear. We need the love of real human beings because much of God's love is mediated through them just as we also need the perfect love of God that we hold on to when human love fails. So we need others to experience the love that makes it safe enough for us to change. The final reason I want to give for why we need others is this. We were made in the image of God and we are called to become like Jesus. While God himself is Trinity, He's three in one. He's identity in community. Identity in community. God is only who he is, expressed within relationships of reciprocal love and peace and beauty. And if we're going to become like him and experience his joys, we also will need to become people of identity in community, in the exchange of reciprocal love. So there we go, there's my attempt to explore a little of why others are so important in the process of transformational change. And it's perhaps worth just adding as a postscript to this section that I know of no one, no one, who's experienced transformational change without this. So then, let's move on to the how. How do we find this kind of community? I can already imagine the questions that come up, Tim, what you say sounds great, but I have never found people like that. No one's shown me that kind of love. I've never felt that safe. Community has just never worked for me. So what can I do? Well, 
The first thing that we need to do is think about different levels of community that um, we want to consider. You know, when we're talking about letting people in, what are we saying? How many people? Which people? In what kind of ways? And it may help you to uh, think about a public space, a private space, and an intimate space. When we gather for worship together on a Sunday morning, you know, that is a public space. But when we meet in someone's home, perhaps with a small group or something, that's a private space. And when we go for a walk with a friend, that's an intimate space. Or perhaps you might find it easier to use a different set of labels. Uh, you might like to think about congregations, communities, discipleship groups and intimate groups. Again, congregations are the big gatherings, perhaps 50 to a couple of hundred people. Communities are the smaller families within the family, perhaps 15 to 30. Discipleship groups are smaller again, usually somewhere between four and 12, and intimate groups are either one-to-one -one settings or perhaps threes, very occasionally fours. Now, no one of these levels of community is better than another in any crude sense, but rather each level has different gifts to give and makes different contributions to change. There's different content that's appropriate in the different levels. You know, for example, if I began talking about a painful argument I'd had with my mother in front of 70 people, many of those listening would start to feel really uncomfortable, and so they should. That's not an appropriate level of content for that kind of space. Similarly, if I went for a walk with my friend and they gave me a 40-minute monologue, that would also feel weird. So the question is, what are the gifts that can be given at each level of community and how do they contribute towards transformational change. And at this point I want to make one thing really clear. I am not talking about joining enough official groups to tick a load of boxes. You know, what I don't want is for anyone to hear that and then think, right then, one-to-one -one meeting with someone, tick, small group, tick, Sunday morning, tick, done it, I've hit all the levels of community. That's missing the point. For a start, there are many small groups in the world that offer no real community and are hopeless at enabling one another to change. Many one-to-one -one relationships are either purposeless or dysfunctional. You know, this isn't about ticking boxes or taking part in a programme. It's about thinking through genuinely healthy expressions of community. So in, this, in the rest of this podcast, I'm going to focus particularly on two kinds of community that I think are most important for transformational change intimate space, kind of twos, threes, and private space, the sort of medium-sized groups, if you like. We've already touched a number of times on the importance of intimate relationships, either those where somebody is able to accompany you through the details of your life and the change that you seek, who's able to encourage you, is available to listen and to talk with you, or perhaps the input of a counsellor, a pastor, a mature other person who can bring a level of expertise or a level of special help when we get stuck. Most people who've experienced significant change when change is hard have had these kind of relationships, at least for a while, and they often play a key role in change. It's often here where we can most fully explore our icebergs, where we can be helped to face the truth. It's often here where we work out the conflicts that are going on in our hearts and what we need to do about it. And it's also here where we can usually feel safest and be held by others as we face our own need to change 
and our real wounds. So how do we find those relationships if we don't have them? Usually, in honesty, by asking for help. By asking for help from someone who's in an appropriate role, um, a pastor, counsellor, etc. Or we find them by creating a real friendship. You know, we live in a culture that believes that good friends are found much in the same way that we believe that we find our perfect lover. Many of us who don't have close friends think that this is because we simply haven't met the right people yet. But I think this is wrong. Friendships aren't usually found, although they sometimes can be. They're usually created. Of course, there's you know, some reason that brings two people's lives in contact with one another, maybe a mutual friend, a common interest, work, church, etc. But those who form friendships are usually those who are willing to invest time and energy and intentionality and care and openness and so on into that relationship. They create friendships rather than finding them. A while ago now, I recorded a podcast with my friend John Brown on the topic of friendship where we explored this issue and these dynamics. And if you want to think more about that, then you're welcome to find that podcast. Um, It's available on the website if you search for it. And uh, there we talked about the things that we find difficult and that sort of thing. Um, For now, um, apart from that podcast, I simply want to make the point that if we lack those kind of relationships, we will probably either need to ask for help or we'll need to start to reflect on what it takes to create a friendship and what it is about us that finds that difficult. You may, in fact, begin to take a journey into your iceberg. Let's talk now about the community or discipleship kind of spaces, the groups of around a dozen, maybe two dozen people, the kind of private space, because this is the kind of community that I think is often most absent from our lives. The reason I think it's most often absent is because, again, I think we tend to believe that these communities need to be found rather than realising that they need to be created. And they need to be created continually. Just as getting married is much less about finding the right person and much more about being the right person, so too with community. We perhaps need to stop asking, where can I find this? and start asking, who can I create this with? It's clear that we can't you know, create transformational community with just anyone. There has to be some shared intent, shared commitment, shared sense of direction and desire and so on. Hopefully that's obvious. But communities do need to be created. So that's the first thing to realise. We probably need to think about creating them rather than finding them. The second thing to realise is that transformational communities will not give their fruit quickly or easily on any level. (laughs) You know, if you go to a counsellor expecting to see the benefits after just one session, then you're going to be disappointed. So too, if you expect a group of a dozen or so people to give its real fruit within a month of meeting, you're also going to be disappointed. In fact, what we need to do is develop the attitude of the Benedictine monks who have this rule for their lives. Stop moving and constant change. Stop moving and constant change. What they mean is this, there has to be a stability of place. Stop moving around. 
Stop changing those who are in your life, jumping from church to church, group to group, friendship to friendship and so on. You just stop all of that. Put a stake in the ground, choose somewhere and stay there. Just stop. But then, having done this, when we've stopped, then it's constant change. Within this stability of place and people, don't stop at all, but embrace constant personal change, personal growth, challenge, relational development, all the rest of it. Keep on moving as a person in your journey within the constant of a consistent community. I think we need that kind of mindset. Too often we change the circumstances of our lives. You know, we're never in one place long enough to experience the kind of community that can help us to change on a transformational level. Or, alternatively, we can settle down with a group of people, but then stop changing and allow one another to remain as we are. Both of these are dysfunctional kind of ways of living. So, if we realise these things, that community has to be created, not found, that it will take time, and that it will require us both to stop and be stable, but also to continually develop. What kind of community are we looking to create? What needs to develop that will facilitate transformational change in us and also in others? Well, here's a load of factors. The community has to grow towards becoming a safe space. Transformation involves coming to know our real selves and coming out of hiding. But our real selves may have all kinds of nasty bits and bobs, as well as wonderful bits and bobs. And therefore, these kind of communities need to be places where we love one another as we really are. This includes really listening to one another. You know, it's remarkable how many of us just aren't ever really listened to. Relatively few people are genuinely good listeners who can listen to someone else for even just 20 minutes without interrupting, without telling a story, or without somehow getting something of them in. You know, we want to create communities where we listen well to one another and where we're non-judgmental. I mean, come on, who wants to throw the first stone, eh? Which of us doesn't need to change? Let's create communities where we can disclose our sins and our struggles without judgment. It's a part of allowing people to be their real selves. Does this mean that we're kind of happy to let people remain in their sin and struggle? No, of course it doesn't mean that. That would mean a community where nothing changes. I've already said that that's unhealthy. But there's no way any of us can change unless we first come to know and accept where we are right now. And this has to be true in communities as well. Others will have to accept me as I am now to allow me the safe space in which I can change. This also means that we need to not rescue each other all the time. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this, if I sat down with my small group and said, um, I'm really struggling at the moment with my sister, uh, our relationship's quite painful and difficult. Now let's imagine that someone jumps in at this point and says, don't beat yourself up Tim, your relationship with her seems quite good to me, I don't think it's too bad. Or someone else says, why don't you just give her a call every week? You know, that'll probably sort it out. You, you know, I'm sure you can get there. Now, no doubt there's good intentions in these people, but those kind of comments are deeply unhelpful. 
and it'll make me think that I don't really want to share my struggles again. Because you see, these kind of comments are trying to rescue me, to either make me feel better or tell me how to change. But what they communicate is that you're not really listening to me, you're trying to fix me. <laughs> but the first step in community is not trying to fix each other, it's trying to love and listen to one another and provide a safe space. An advice giving space is not a safe space. Of course, if I ask for your advice or your input, then that may be appropriate. But too often we jump in to rescue people and what we actually do is just shut them down. You know, it may be worth reflecting on the fact that psychologically, when somebody gives us unasked for advice, we react to it in the same way we react to a physical threat. Same mechanisms go on. So if we can create communities that listen well, where we love and accept people as they are, where we don't try and rescue them or rush to fix them, then we're creating a safe place where we can be honest and vulnerable with one another, where we can be known and loved. And being known and loved is key to being able to change. It also allows us to be truly different. Remember, the goal is identity in community. That means that creating space to be known and loved, but it also means creating space to be different. Now, one of the signs of unhealthy communities is that they're full of people that all share the same opinions, think the same thoughts, and continually reinforce one another's view of the world. They really become just echo chambers where change becomes increasingly impossible because our differences have been pushed out of sight. This is a false peace and a false security. It's only a safe space because none of us are different, but therefore none of us must be being our real selves because we're always different. When we're not different, our community is living a lie. A truly safe community is a group where difference is expected and welcomed and received as a gift. Again, obviously there have to be some commonalities to bind us together, we've been through that, but within the shared purpose, expectations, commitment, and all of those sort of things, shared values, shared beliefs, but within that there then has to be room for genuine difference, identity in community. So these kind of communities are safe space then where love is shared, difference is welcome. But communities also have to be intentional. You know, nothing good ever happens by accident. And the same is true of a good community. It requires an intentional commitment to pursue the deeper conversations, to pursue the sharing of life together in practical ways, to pursue sharing pleasure together and enjoying one another as gifts, to pursue intentional discipleship and the desire to change, to be more like Jesus and more of who we were called to be. And in all of this, you see, a transformational community will not only focus on the so-called spiritual areas of life, but will focus on all of God in all of us, in all of life. We need communities where I can explore how to understand Romans, and I can also explore why I eat too much, where I can learn to pray and I can learn to budget where I can enjoy worship and enjoy a game of football. I spent uh, many years in the vineyard movement in a vineyard church in Nottingham, and they've got a really nice way of putting this. Uh, they talk about the need to be naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. 
naturally supernatural. You know, it should be normal for us to involve God in our day-to-day lives. My community should be a place where I'm able to naturally move between praying um, for me to asking how often I've left my laptop at work, for those of you that listened to the last podcast, to welcoming my unbelieving neighbour to our barbecue, to praying for God to heal my friend's leg, to taking part in a meal rater for a family whose marriage is on the rocks. And all of this, it's all of God in all of us, in all of life. That's what it means to be fully human. Can you see just how important this kind of community can be for transformational change? It's in that kind of space that I can come out of hiding. I can begin to risk being myself. And I'll begin to learn who I really am. I can make mistakes. I can confess my sins. I can receive love and support and challenge as I develop new rhythms of life. I can be encouraged by others that are doing the same. As I experience their imperfect love, something of the love of God is mediated to me. As they hurt me, I'm reminded that I need God's perfect love most of all. As I forgive them and we are reconciled, I experience the grace of being able to fail and the knowledge that sin is not the end of relationship, but an opportunity to grow. But I won't just find this community. I've got to be part of creating it. It feels like we've traveled quite a long way from where we started this podcast. And perhaps the risk actually is that you would leave this podcast thinking that this is the one thing that really matters, the one really key thing thing to change, this kind of community. I don't think it is. You know, all that we've talked about in the other podcasts matters just as much. So let me finish by summarizing them all again, and then I'll pray to close. So we all need to change on the inside, but transformational change is hard. Sometimes we get stuck. And when we do, what are the key factors to transformational change? Well, amongst them are the three that we've explored, growing in knowledge of ourselves, addressing the rhythms and habits of our lives, and letting other people in. All of these matter. I've tried to offer some hows through the podcasts, but these are only provisional and partial. I've also put together a recommended reading article to give you a pointer to other resources that will help. Basically, I've tried to indicate the direction the journey must take, but each one of us will need to work out that journey, but not on our own. So the final invitation is this, if you want to talk more, here's a few options. First, why don't you join the Zoom on Sunday the 23rd of May in the evening? You can book on uh, via the website. And that's a chance to ask questions, to explore this teaching, to dig a bit deeper into anything I've talked about. But secondly, you may want a more personal conversation. You may have um, friends or others already in your lives that you want to do that with. But if you want to get in touch with me, you're very welcome to do so. And perhaps the best way is just to drop me an email at timmurray at amblecoatchristiancentre.org.uk and um, I'll be able to get back in touch with you. So there's the final set of invitations. Don't stop with these podcasts, but take these as a start to take the journey to transformational change. Lord Jesus, 
we uh, lift before you all those who might listen to this podcast. And we pray for the stirring of their hearts to desire more of you. And that where they're stuck, where they can't change the frustrations in life, the sin, sadness, I pray that they would want to you and the freedom that you offer and would take the next step in moving towards real change and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, please visit our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.